Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. I'd like to have our brother Frankie Gomez come forward and give us the scripture and the words that the Lord laid on his heart. Brother Frankie. Morning. Um, this morning we are going to be, um, like we were last week in 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, last week my brother Buck went through um, those first 10-11 verses um, and really highlighting the, the importance, the importance of living the Christian life as God designed with the power that he's given us using the power that we have through the Holy Spirit to live a life of purpose, not ever forgetting, not ever forgetting that we have been cleansed from our sins. We've been purged from our old sins and we have a calling in election to be sure of. Um, it's uh, in my study of this passage in the past, it's interesting. Um, I've looked at it from two different angles in my own study. Um, and now we'll look at it from two different angles. Um, as Uncle Buck last week went through those first 10 verses. And again, like I said, explained the, just the power that we have and the purpose. Um, and I'll be going into those seven virtues individually, um, and really eight if we start with faith, um, the foundation um, that we find um, in verses five, six, and seven of the passage. Um, when I studied this passage first, it did actually remind me of two different speeches, probably very influential speeches given by presidents of the United States um, early in the 20th century. Um, probably the more famous one is FDR's Four Freedoms um, before we went into World War II. It was known as, um, that speech in history now is known as the sword and banner. Um, another very influential speech was at the closing of World War I and um, President Wilson's outline for what success would look like in a peace treaty. Um, and that was known as the hammer and plow. Um, that was the, it was known as Wilson's 14 points. FDR's was inspiring, poetic, and visionary. Um, Wilson's was detailed and instructive. Um, the Word of God in, in, in explaining life to us, the Christian life to us, takes both, um, take, takes both, both angles. There's instruction, there's details, but there's also passion and purpose. And this passage has both. Um, I'll be, I guess, looking at it more if, if, Uncle Buck was more of the, the FDR, the passion and the purpose. I'll be looking in the instructions and the, the details. Um, and both are just as important in our Christian life. We can have all the passion and purpose, but if, if we don't really dig into the details 
it's lost and we can have all the details, but if we don't have passion behind it, um, right, that's 1 Corinthians 13. Um, whereas uh, if we don't have love, if we don't have that passion um, for people, um, it's all for naught. Um, so I hope, um, I hope we, we have some instruction and some, um, some details added um, to what we learned last week. And I want to start with, in verse, verse 4, I mean, we'll read through verse 7 for now. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. Whereby, and it's speaking of the divine power, whereby this, this divine power has given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, charity. And we'll read verse 8 um, to complete the sentence. It says, And for if these things be in you and abound, they make that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Add to your faith. Add to your faith. Faith um, faith is the foundation with which, that, that we build on, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people that say that they're people of faith. And, you know, you start a conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they, and they say, I'm a person of faith. Um, and that, that, that's great. It, faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It Faith, everyone has faith in something. And if you have a lot of faith in something, at least you have that conciliatory thought, that, 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 that foundation that you wouldn't be um, paradoxical so much, that you wouldn't have so many conflicting ideas, right? And we see that today in the, this, the, the loud minority of people right, that goes back and forth in, in seemingly contradictory, contradictory stances. Whatever wave of passion, they're overtaken by it because there's no real base of belief. There's no real base of belief. It's just the popular opinion. But you see, that faith, a lot of people do have do have that anchor of faith, but that anchor of faith is only as good as the anchor. Um, you know, I, there's, there's a, a, a proverb that I heard of an ice fisherman. And um, there, there's a few different ice fishing um, guides that, that will take you out. And would you rather go with a guide that says, you know, I have a lot of experience and um, I know this, this ice is only, it's only three inches thick, but you know, I'm sure I have a lot of faith it's going to hold me. Or would you rather go with a guide that says, 
This ice here is four feet thick. Four feet thick. I, I've never been on this lake, but, it, but it's four feet thick. It's going to hold. Uh, which, which guide would you go with? The, the, the few inches of ice or the one that has something to trust in, that has something real. And no matter how great amount of faith that we have, it matters what our faith is in. You know, and when the Lord Jesus told that the, the, the parable, the faith of mustard seed and that instruction, he wasn't saying that you don't have the faith of a mustard seed. What he's saying is if you even have a little bit of faith in me, you can do, you have what you need. You have what you need. Of course, if we've trusted the Lord Jesus for salvation, we have faith the size of a mustard seed at least. If we followed him into the waters of baptism, we have that faith. It's there. It's there. You know, we give the disciples a a hard time um, for their questions. And, you know, Peter is who wrote this section, and we give him a really hard time for the things that he said. But one thing that they got right is when the Lord Jesus was was giving his difficult teachings on forgiveness, giving his difficult teachings, they didn't say, they they didn't say, um, you know, Lord, Lord, give us a better program or what's your five-step program for this? Or, you know, can you you explain this a little? They just said plainly, give us more faith. Increase our faith. They saw that as what they needed most. And in times that that we struggle, in times that we struggle to come up with plans and, you know, how are we going to do this or how are we going to do that? The first thought should be, we need to increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. You know, faith, faith, it gives us a lens that allows us to see God at work. I think really that's the, the teaching of Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith being the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's that conviction that our hope is secure that allows us to see the evidence of things which are not plainly seen. It allows us to look back at our life and even the difficult circumstances, our very belief that God is real allows us to see him working through those difficult times. And any of us who have suffered trials or who have suffered pain, if, if our faith is strong, we can look back and see how that was instructive in our life. I think of Jacob. Jacob in in wrestling with God and all the plans that he had made to keep himself safe as he went to Esau to meet Esau. He had to see the, the, the work that he put in. The his his journey, though painful, though painful, he could look back at that limp that he was given. It said after he wrestled with God, he walked on a cane and with a limp. And he could say, praise God for my limp. That's when I met God. I acquired this limp. 
He didn't hate his limp. And, and sometimes we've suffered pain in our life and it leaves a mark. But through faith, we're able to look at that through the, the way that God sees it. And we can praise God for that. Faith is what we add these virtues to because it is the foundation. It is the lens through which we look at the world. The faith that we have that we were lost sinners. And one thing that Peter said, and the Lord asked him, will you go away also? He said, Lord, to whom should we go? To whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. There, there's nowhere else that we, we needed a Savior. The Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins. At the end of this section, Peter says, add these so that if you, if you lack these things, you're going to forget. You're going to forget that you've been purged from your sins. You're going to forget that you are a poor, lost sinner who needed a Savior. The first thing that we add to this, it's not cunning, it's not skill, it's not, it's not even the very effort, although... Peter says, make every effort. Make every effort. But it's, it's virtue. It's goodness. Um, it, we add goodness to our faith. And that word virtue, um, it, that's what it means, being good. Um, Peter, I'll look at these words a lot through the lens of Peter's life and what we know of Peter's life. Peter was obsessed about doing good. All he wanted to do was to impress the Lord Jesus. You know, even at, at the Mount of Transfiguration, he, he was so moved by the moment. He wanted to memorialize it. That's what he meant, build a booth. Build, he wanted to, to build a fence around it. What the Lord Jesus wants us to do is to build something out of the moment. When Peter, James, and John, when you leave from here, you will be different. You will be changed. We don't build a monument. The Lord Jesus is all we need to remember. And that was one time he, he was obsessing about doing good, about being good, and this is a good thing, and build a fence around it. A lot of times we, we build our own little monuments to the good things that we do in life, and, and we always look back, see what I did, look at, look at what I did there. Look at what I did there, and we're always looking back to the good that we did in the past, not, not looking forward. What good can we continue to do? How can that experience really experiencing the hand of God and the goodness of God in our life, how can we move forward and continue to be virtuous? You know, a lot of times we're not, when it comes to goodness, we're not the wolves in sheep's clothing that the Lord Jesus warned about. We're more like, like sheepdogs and sheep's clothing like we should be we should be running out front we should be 
serving. We should be the leaders on things. And really, we're just, we're just apart. We're just blending in with the world. We're not out attacking, but you know, we're, just, we're just going along for the ride. You know, and, and we get exhausted. We get tired with the effort. We get tired. Without God's calling, we'll exhaust ourselves in, in well-doing. Um, we can exhaust ourselves without, without that faith that is the foundation. It wasn't until Peter realized his own worthlessness that he was called to lead. It, he was told he would be a leader. He was prayed for by the Lord Jesus. But he wasn't called until he realized his own worthlessness. And if we, if we were to skip John chapter 21, we would open the book of Acts and we would think, what in the world is Peter doing leading anything? The Lord restored him and called him. If you read John 21, it, you could almost hear the shame in Peter's responses to the Lord Jesus. The guilt in his voice. But the Lord restored him and called him to service because he realized with all his, with all his goodness, with all his mind, with, with all of that, that passion that he had for the Lord Jesus, it wasn't enough without faith that the Lord Jesus was the only thing and that he was worthless. His ideas were worthless. His good motives were worthless without the Lord Jesus. Our goodness should be grounded in faith that God is real and that the Lord Jesus died for our sins and, and saved us. And that is the, the motivation for our goodness. And then we add to the goodness knowledge. We add to the goodness knowledge. It's not add to your faith knowledge, right? Because we know knowledge puffeth up. If we didn't have the virtue, if we weren't schooled in virtue and goodness, adding knowledge straight to our faith, would, would cause our heads to fill with air and we would lift off and we would no longer care about the people on this earth. And, and we would be like, like the monks that go, that go into the hillside, that go into the mountains and have no dealings with people and all that they learn has no effect on the world. And that's how we would be if not for goodness. That was first, add to your faith, goodness, virtue, and to that goodness, knowledge. What knowledge comes from faith and goodness? What kind of knowledge? It's, it's the knowledge that, that the Lord Jesus is good. And it's the knowledge that the Bible is real, the knowledge that the word of God is powerful. 
It's experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge. In Acts 4.13, the Sanhedrin, and, and the goal of the Sanhedrin, the, the, the set purpose for the Sanhedrin was to recognize Messiah. They failed. They failed. Um, and now they're having to deal with the fallout of their failure to recognize the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. And the names of the fallout are Peter and John. And they, they have this problem that here are two, what they called, they called unschooled and ordinary. Unschooled and ordinary men. And they were, they were turning the world upside down. Unschooled and ordinary. But what did they... What did the Sanhedrin take note? They had been with Jesus. They knew. When they heard them talking, they knew they'd been with Jesus. It wasn't knowledge that came from a book. It wasn't, it, it wasn't knowledge that came from study. All of those things are very important. Very important. And we know that we do gain knowledge from study. But the knowledge that's added to our faith, that adds to our faith, is that knowledge, that personal experience that comes from being with Jesus. They knew Jesus. You can know everything and find it meaningless. I think in um, when I my first semester of college, I... Um, I had a, a scholarship where I was getting money from the university, and the only thing they required of me is that I take a class, their honors college class. It added an extra three credits, which was fine because the scholarship came with a 15-credit minimum. Most times you only take 12 credits or 13 if you have a lab, but um, this class gave me something else to take, and, and it allowed me to keep my scholarship. And it was the their honors college class, and the, the first um, there were six prof professors that taught the class. It was different. It was a panel of professors from various um, studies. And one of them was the religious studies department at the university. And the first day of class, I remember her saying, I've, how, bragging how many times she's read through the Bible. And she could quote, I think to prove it, she quoted from uh, a 15-verse passage from Second Chronicles very random passage from Second Chronicles. She, she quoted an entire chapter from the book of Revelation she, just to prove it. And then she says, and, I, and I'm agnostic. Um, she had so much knowledge of the words in the scripture, but it meant nothing. It lacked power because she didn't have faith the Lord Jesus died for her. You can have all that knowledge and find it meaningless, but you will never find meaningless to know the one in whom you have believed. 
just just ask Peter. Just ask Peter about that conversation on the shore and how it changed his life to really know the one in whom you have believed. We add that knowledge to goodness that we added to our faith. And the next one, very personal to Peter, temperance. Add to knowledge, temperance. A lot of times it's, it's worded self-control. Um, it very, the root word is the only time it occurs in 2 Peter. Um, in 1 Peter, it comes three times. And a lot of times, those three times, it's translated sober-mindedness. Sober-mindedness. Um, and it's always followed by a quality. Um, a quality of mind, um, alertness. Uh, it's followed by mental preparedness. That, that, that's the idea. Um, you know, in in first in first Peter one thirteen to sixteen, and really it goes back to nine to sixteen. Peter is saying that your sober mindedness, that mental preparedness, allows us to. Uh, to cherish and safeguard the great salvation that we've received. Don't take your eyes off of it. Don't take your eyes off of it. Because sin and false teaching, self-righteousness, it can steal the joy that comes with our salvation. Um, one of my, my favorites is 1 Peter 4.7. Um, 1 Peter 4.7 does not sound like the Peter from the Gospels at all. Um, and and um, I'll, read, I'll read the section, 1 Peter 4, 7. It's pretty dramatic. It says, but the end of the world is at hand. The end, and King James says, the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober-minded, or have self-control, and watch unto prayer. Where did Peter learn that lesson? The end of all things is at hand. Be sober-minded, be alert, and watch unto prayer. He learned that in the garden. A direct lesson from the Lord Jesus. You know, sometimes we see chaos. We see chaos around us and, and we sleep. We sleep through it. We ignore it. We don't know what to do, so we ignore it. Peter doesn't say, the end of all things is at hand. Go out with a, with a dagger, go out with a blade, and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. That, that's what he did in the end. But he doesn't say to do that. He realizes that was wrong. He realizes sleeping was wrong. What the Lord Jesus asked him to do was watch unto prayer. Watch, see the things, listen, and you'll know how to pray. Watch unto prayer. Not fight, not even preach, not sleep, but pray. We need to prepare for battle with clearness of mind and self-control. 
in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, that's the, the last one. It says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You're not alone. You're not alone. We're suffering this together. I think um, I, I've seen some people in social media point to some of the, the protests that are going on around the world as, oh, look, they're, they're, protesting, they're protesting racism in America. But if you ask those people, they're not. They're protesting racism in their own country. Um, it, it's, it's, the same afflictions is all over the world. It's all over the world. Um, any, what we suffer as Christians here in the U.S., whatever we suffer, at least that, if not more, is all over the world. Have self-control and, and be alert because the devil is on the prowl. And it's not just about you. It's not just about me. The devil's after the whole world. He's after everybody. Um, and there's uh, an old, a story about a, a, a psychiatrist that wanted to delve into the way that groups of people, that teams, are equipped to handle fear. And fear as, in as, as it's presented as a threat. As it's presented as a threat. And one group he took out was um, at the university he was at. He took their starting defense on the football team. Their football team starting defense, 11, 11 strong, athletic, able-bodied young men. And he took them out. Um, it was in South Florida. He took them out into the Everglades. Took them out on, uh, in um, Shark Valley is the name of the park. It's a, it's a state park, Shark Valley. And you walk or bike ride on it. And I remember taking field trips in elementary school growing up in Miami um, up the, at Shark Valley. And it wasn't uncommon to see alligators sunning themselves, not five feet off, even right on the bike path. Um, and there are some, some trails that do go into the woods, away from the water, but into the woods. And they took this football team, the, the, the defense, into the woods. And as they got deep into, into the woods, they, would, they made some hog noises. There are wild hogs out there. They made some hog noises and ruffled the bushes, and, and the team scattered. There was yelling, and they scattered. The next group that they took in was, uh, was the, a local agency SWAT team, a local agency SWAT team. And they, they did the same thing. They had them run along the path. They see the wild hogs on the path. They see the alligators on the path. They took them back into that. They did the same thing. And what they did is, again, 11 members, same number of people. They, they went back to back. They stopped running. They were running down the path. They heard the danger. They stopped. And they went back to back and formed a circle. Back to back. What, what is the more effective 
defense. Well, if you're only thinking about yourself, the running and scattering may be the most effective. If all you have to think about is yourself, right? The old adage, I don't have to be the fastest. I just have to be faster than the slowest, right? I don't have to, unrun, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you, right? That's a selfish approach. That's a selfish approach. And I think sometimes we take that in when it comes to the world's problems. When it comes to the, when it comes to, when it comes to sin, even. When it comes to sin, we try to outrun it. We try to outpace it. When really, if we were to, if we were to, to form a circle, if we were to defend each other, if we, were to, if we were to come together, we would have much more success. Now, and the next step is really what, what that SWAT team illustrated in their response. Right? The self-control is what allowed them to stop and go back to their training. What they had learned. What they had learned. The next one is patience. Patience. Um, it's a military word in Greek. It's a hypomene. Hypomene. And it means stand your ground. A military term, perseverance. And here translated patience. If we have self-control and we're able to stop and reflect on what we've learned then we can persevere and we can stand our ground. Um, there's a story about the, the old actress, um, comedian, really, Gracie Allen. Um, and she likes to play pranks on um, the people around her. And um, she tried to play a prank one time on um, the maid that, that cleaned her house. And um, first of all, it, it, it wasn't really her. Someone, someone played a prank on her and gave her a baby alligator in the mail, sent her a package of the baby alligator. She laughed. She didn't think anything. She knew it was a joke. She knew her friend. She knew who did it. She knew it was a joke. But she was in a hurry to leave her house, so she put it in the bathtub and left. When the maid came to clean the house, she didn't get very far. She left. She left a note for Gracie Allen. It said, Dear Miss Allen, I quit. I don't work in no house with an alligator. I guess I should have told you this when I got the job. I just never thought it would come up. How many times do we say things like that to God with our actions? Just saying, I'm out. I, I never thought this would come up. I never thought this would come up. Hopefully we never say the words, I quit. But we persevere. There, there's things that come up in our life that we never thought we'd have to deal with. Never thought we'd have to deal with it. There's things that we should have seen coming. But through it all, through it all, we don't quit. We don't quit. Peter had lots of reasons to quit, lots of reasons to quit along the way. And 
I know in, in some of Paul's epistles, he details the reasons that he had to quit, right? Philippians chapter one, just there's so many, so many reasons to quit. But there's reasons not to quit. The reason not to quit. And it first Peter, second Peter one one. That like precious faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Precious faith. Peter learned perseverance, keep going even when it's tough. I mean, how would you how could you quit if you're Peter if you were slated for death the next morning and an angel came and got you out of prison. Not quitting. Not quitting. Next, adding to patience, or that perseverance, godliness. Godliness. Um, and you think, well, godliness isn't that goodness, but this is deeper. It's not redundant. Godliness is deeper than goodness. Godliness has to do with that pure motivation, a God-centeredness. Um, we actually have a, we use scripture to, to define words. We have a definition for godliness. Um, and that's 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. We have a definition for godliness. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. You can take note of it or, or even turn there. Um, I'm going to read it. Maybe 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. Is it great is the mystery of God? Um, 3, 16. 1 Timothy 3, 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3, 16. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Great is the mystery of godliness, and we have that, those definitions. Godly people make God personal. Make God personal. We know a famous quote from, from Gandhi, I'd be a Christian if not for the Christians. Right? It's our job to make God personal. A godly person, people look at it and say they, they know. That, that person's different. That person walks with God. Make God personal. We entrust justice to God. Entrust justice to God. The Lord Jesus, it says, justified in the Spirit. Uh, the ultimate example of trusting justice to God, the Lord Jesus lived a perfect life and died a criminal's death. And didn't fight against it. He entrusted justice to God. 
A godly person is aware that our, our audience, we have an audience elsewhere. We have an audience in heaven. Um, one thing that, um, that Paul says in, in um, Philippians chapter 2, um, he, he asks us not to, not to seek after vain glory. And that vain glory is a word that means peasant worship. We're not out to, to gain the, the attaboys from men. We're not, we're not out to, to be seen to be, to be seen as, as having a popular opinion. We're not out to play to the crowd, to gain followers on our own. We recognize that our audience is elsewhere, a heavenly audience. Preached unto the Gentiles, we cast our net as far as we can. Like a, from a fisherman, right? A, a good cast doesn't, my dad always taught me, when you're throwing the cast net, it gets as wide as it can before it hits the water. You don't want it shaped. You don't want it skinny. He would call it a cigar shape. When you toss out that cast net, it, you don't want it to be rectangular. You want that wide net cast. How wide am I casting my net? Is it to the edges of my grasp? Is it to the, my acquaintances even? Or do I keep my light hidden for those just close? He, was, he preached unto the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. It had an impact. Had an impact beyond, beyond Jerusalem. And received up into glory, motivated, motivated not by earthly reward, but by glory revealed. Even, even in the garden, even in the garden, knowing this is the reason why he came. Glorify thy son on the cross. Yeah, on the cross. Godliness we add to godliness brotherly kindness. We add to godliness brotherly kindness. Um, we know that the, the Greek word, I think there's even a very secular commercial that goes into the Greek words for love now. Um, and I, I saw it, I thought if it, it maybe it was a Christian backing, but it wasn't. It went to all the different Greek words of love. Um, but, and the last two were the last two here. And it, stronger and stronger loves, deeper loves. And, and these are the two words here. We get brotherly kindness and charity. That's philios and agape. We have philios first. That brotherly love. Um, translators chose the, the two different words. It would be silly to put love and love and add, you know, to, to godliness, love and to love, love. Right. And that, that would be in English. And they chose these phrases um, that brotherly love and charity to help define the qualities of both words. Um, this brotherly kindness. Um, I'll try to say the Greek word. Krestototes is kindness. So you have philios crustototes, right? Um, it, goodwill, good deeds. Um, and then 
Um, we know that the Philadelphia, we get philanthropy, right? A love that expresses selfless generosity. Um, but the, the Greek word is actually that Philadelphia. Um, Delphia, and that it's not Philios, but Philadelphia. Um, Delphia is biological siblings. Delphia, and we know that, that P-H-I-A has to do with the father. Um, Delphia, biological siblings of the same father. Um, it's that cry, blood is thicker than water. Philadelphia, blood is thicker than water. Love between those of the same father. That's what defined earthly Philadelphia. And the apostles, it was really, a, you know, someone has different mothers and the same father. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a stain. But the apostles took it for themselves. The disciples took it from themselves to describe the love they had for each other. Blood brother. Love what your father loves. Equality. Equality. Unity, closeness, service. Think if any of you grew up with siblings, I know as for me, as a brother, if I ever did anything to disrespect my sisters, it was my father I had to deal with. Um, I know if Frankie, my son Frankie, as the, oldest, as the oldest boy, if he does something to hurt one of his younger siblings, he has to deal with me. I protect all of them. It saddens me. When, when my children hurt each other. And think about our Father in heaven. When, when we, for no reason, no spiritual reason, when we attack each other, when we malign each other. Brotherly love. I think of Peter and Andrew. There's no story in the Gospels or in Acts of, of Andrew claiming authority over Peter. But how did Peter even meet the Lord? Uh, and Andrew, I think of the human side of Andrew, and Andrew and Philip are the first. They're the first, and, and, they, and they go and tell the people that they know, and these people that they know become greater than them in the circle. The Lord Jesus obviously loved each and every one of them. And, and even Philip, he, he would say, how long have you been with me? Um, and John, uh, you know, when he's meeting with that, how long have you been with me? When Philip asks, how will we know the way? Um, Andrew, Andrew was Peter's brother. And stayed in that, even though Peter rose to a greater level of closeness with the Lord Jesus, even though Andrew was first. Um, and then it's that, that brotherly love for one another.
And then the end, agape, love. We have brotherly love for each other, those of us that have the same father. Love for the brethren and honor preferring one another, um, Romans chapter 12. Um, But agape love. That's loving loving the, the utterly unlovable. In the original novel of Beauty and the Beast, the author, um, G.K. Chesterton, who wrote the original Beauty and the Beast, he wrote out a moral at the end. And the written moral of the story was, unlovely things must be deeply loved before they become lovable. Unlovely things must be deep, must, must be deeply loved before they become lovable. I, I see it in my, in my job as an assistant principal at a, at a middle school. Um, I have a teacher hangs a poster on her wall. It's behind her desk. And I say poster, it, it's a sheet of paper. I doubt her students can read it unless they get up close, but she can see it. And, and it just says that in my classroom, in my classroom, there's no bad kids. There are hurt kids. There are hurt kids. Um, we wonder why the world doesn't have the love of God. It's because they have not been loved. There's... There's such a lack of love in this world from parents to their kids, among siblings. Um, There's hate and angst, resentment that is allowed to, to root and fester within communities, within homes, within families. There's been hate planted in there. And that's all that they know. And they're not going to change it through, through screaming. They're not going to change it through discipline. They're not going to change it through, through, through being punished. That's not how the Lord Jesus showed you. That's not how God showed you he loved you. That's not how God showed me he loved me. He, he died for me. God never punished me. He punished the Lord Jesus, and he showed me the the utmost love. That's what drew me. That's what drew you, the the love that he had. We're not going to, to draw the world to him through hate, through punishment. We're going to draw the world to him through love. And, and, And that faith and truth, that knowledge, but love is what we knew was the truth about God. Unprovoked love, agape love, agape love, unprovoked love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And these things are important to add to our faith, not just a suggestion, 
If these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. If you lack these things, you're blind. You're blind. And the Pharisees said, are we blind also? You're saying that we're blind? Well, if you lack these things, you're blind. You can't see afar off, and you've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. Blind to the future and blind to the past. Make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, shall never fall. Add to your faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your word and, and passages like these that lay it out clearly. The things that you want us to be characterized by in this life that we have here. Lord, we're thankful for the breath that we have, that we can be ambassadors for Christ. And we pray that we would make our calling and our election sure, that we would add these things to our faith. Um, Lord, we know that we can't be any more favored by you. We know that we can't be any more loved by you but we do seek to please you with our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the opportunities that we have to add these things to our faith, that the world may know, that they may see that you are the God who loves them. You are the God that came to this earth and took their place on the cross. Lord, we pray that you would now take us back to our homes in safety, um, help us to apply these things to our lives. Um, and we pray for, for health and safety um, for all those, all our loved ones and our family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.